Welcome to Erectus Tech Brief Podcast. My name is Salina Klaasen, your technology reporter. This week, we focus on the EU's plans to build a future ecosystem of super and quantum computers. We will also dive into the role of the European sovereignty. For an overview of all things technology in the EU, sign up for our free newsletter or visit the website erective.com. Recently, we also launched the Erective app for iOS and Android. This is Erective's Tech Brief Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Gustav Kalbem. He is within the Directorate General Connect at the European Commission, the Acting Director for Digital Excellence and Science and Infrastructure. Previously, he was Head of Unit for High Performance Computing and Quantum Technology and Interim Executive Director of the European High Performance Computing Joint Undertaking until 2020. Hi, Gustav. Hello. Just before the winter break, the Mare Nostrum 5 supercomputer was inaugurated, completing the first series of mid-range so-called pre-exascale supercomputers to create a supercomputing ecosystem in Europe. 7 billion euros is to be invested in EU-based supercomputers between 2021 and 2027. The next investment focuses on exascale supercomputers, which have more computing capacity than mid-range machines. So far, the inauguration of Jupiter in Germany is planned for this year, followed by the 2025 Jules Verne in France. Jules Verne should also be based by a very large part on European technologies. However, the graphic processing unit is likely to remain non-European. In early December, the Commission welcomed the joint declaration on quantum technology, which was initiated by the Spanish presidency. The Quantum Pact is meant as an umbrella to coordinate also quantum-related initiatives on EU national and regional levels to build a quantum technology ecosystem. Currently, countries worldwide are in the process of setting standards in quantum cryptography, and NIST, the American National Institute of Standards and Technology, has been recognized as a leading role, while Germany and France are also reluctant to yield more power to Washington. If the EU misses its chance to catch up with quantum cryptography, the EU would continue to be dependent on the United States for its security. And this is just a brief overview on what is happening um, in terms of the future ecosystem of the EU in terms of supercomputers as well as quantum technology. And Gustav, I would just like to ask you whether I missed something in my summary and if you would like to add something. Well, you made an excellent uh, summary. I would just like to add one major dimension, which is a rather new development for supercomputing. It is the new initiative for artificial intelligence, in particular focused towards supporting the emerging AI startups by bringing them together with the supercomputing infrastructure that we are, uh, have established and uh, make uh, bring them together so that the, the AI startups that cannot uh, afford paying the large amounts of money you need to run your algorithms on those super large computers, that they can do some development and pre-training of their models in order to stay competitive uh, with the other parts of the world. And that's a, a rather new dimension of the whole high-performance computing initiative that is now being combined with artificial intelligence. And you will see pretty soon uh, the whole package being announced and coming out to have a real integrated uh, approach towards using data in combination with the algorithms 
and taking advantage of the supercomputing power that we have installed in Europe. Thank you very much for adding this. It perfectly fits with my first question. So um, only specific server infrastructure optimally supports modern AI research and development. Um, what requirements do supercomputers need to fulfill to contribute to the development of AI? And why is it important to contribute, which you already mentioned in this initiative? So maybe you can dive a little bit deeper into that. Definitely. I will not uh, make a description of the architecture of uh, supercomputers. The, the ones that we have now already in the European Union as part of the UHPC uh, infrastructure uh, are very large among the top 10 in the world. And in principle, they're already using uh, AI algorithms. However, the specific needs of uh, the, the AI, and here we're talking about the very large models, like uh, large language models, foundational uh, AI, and so on. They have different requirements on how to utilize supercomputers than was initially foreseen by the computers that were installed. And therefore, despite the fact that they can run AI, they're presenting a couple of bottlenecks, which uh, are linked to the intricate way how you, you train your AI models. And that's why we're now proposing as uh, new measures to um, buy specifically supercomputers that are optimized for this usage of these very large AI models uh, and also to upgrade the existing supercomputers so that they become much more tuned towards the requirements of this emerging AI field in order to gain in time, gain in precision, and be able to run much, much larger models than is currently possible. Now, we're bringing forward the, the AIs, of course, because, uh, sorry, the startups in AI, because they are the, the, the most dynamic actors, and that's where the, the whole um, market uh, is going. That's the area where ultimately we can take advantage of the union combined investments in research and development, both at union level, but also at member states level, and really see this research investment come to fruition. But then, of course, let's not forget that besides the AI startups, which still a large number of other users of AI, be it the scientific communities developing the fundamental models or being other scientific disciplines that are taking advantage of AI models. So ultimately, we're going to build the whole AI ecosystem for research or scientific applications, as well as for supporting the development of um, commercial activities. And therefore, we will bring together the all elements from the AI startups, the research groups, the supercomputing facilities, the, the data sites, and the competences, the tools and people we need in order to promote and further develop this whole area. So since I'm not only talking about uh, supercomputers, but also now switching um, to exascale, so the machines that are not mid-range, I was wondering, so Jupiter is the first exascale machine in Europe that was announced to include the first European processor, so the central processing unit, designed by the semiconductors company CPL. While the graphic processing unit for Juwen is likely to remain non-European, could you explain what the difficulty is and what we can realistically expect in terms of developing European components of these complex technologies? 
for the moment the um, the market for microchips is clearly dominated by uh, non-european partners and this has been the case let's say for the last uh, two decades and you can see to what extent we depend on this technology when you go back in 2020 when as a consequence of the covid confinement the supply of microchips in europe was wouldn't say drying out but was massively delayed with crucial impacts on high-tech sectors including the automotive industry it's also uh, a point to take into consideration that being able to build your own supercomputer is a strategic asset that you need for your country or for your, your continent the, what we used to say is to outcompute is to outcompete. So it's essential for your, your frontier science, for your competitiveness of the industry, but also for national security to have always access and unrestricted access to the most advanced uh, supercomputing power. And if you have a marked uh, distance towards your competitors, then uh, you can imagine the outcomes. And in order to ensure that in the, the long run, European Union can keep uh, building the, the fastest supercomputers in the world and to relax this dependency on resources from outside the Union. Already a couple of years ago, the Union launched one initiative called the European Processor Initiative to equip the Union with the most advanced microchips that you need primarily for high performance computing, but then can also be used for other applications from data centers to the autonomous uh, car and so on. And the example you mentioned, the supercomputer, the exascale supercomputer to be installed in Jülich will use uh, the Cyper components, which is the first tangible outcome of this European effort to reindustrialize the continent and bring back the competences of developing and designing high-end microprocessors. Now, the central processing unit from Cyprus is the first step. And of course, our ambition is in the next few years also to develop the, the missing other components like the accelerators, these graphical processing units that you mentioned. And therefore, we are launching another large initiative that will develop those accelerators, but based on a slightly different approach, based on the, the open standard called RISC V. So ultimately, in, in five, seven, ten years from, from now, we'll see how quickly we evolve. We should be able to uh, build supercomputer that is almost exclusively made out of European technology to reduce, as I mentioned before, the dependency on sources from outside the Union and have a more resilient ecosystem. I would just like to come with a follow-up question. So you mentioned um, the accelerating initiative. Um, has it already been launched? And if not, um, do you know when it will be launched? We have launched this initiative one year ago. There is a consortium called DARE that was selected to implement this action. And the next steps now is uh, to launch the call for funding the actions. And this should happen in the ne next uh, quarter so that in the mid or end of this year, the actual work on developing those missing components can start. Now, coming to the Quantum Pact, which is an initiative that was launched by the Spanish presidency in December, um, I would like to know how that initiative or this Quantum Pact uh, fits into the bigger picture of the EU's future computing ecosystem. And what does it currently imply that not every member state has signed it yet? 
Now we'll start with the last point. Not every country has signed it yet for the simple reason that the, the whole quantum pact was uh, announced uh, and we had a ceremony late December last year. And not all countries at that moment could yet uh, join, but we're now collecting the signatures from the missing countries and are counting that in due time, all 27 member states will have signed up to the quantum pact. Now, the quantum pact itself and its importance for the computing of the union, let's not forget quantum goes much wider than computing and the actions we have launched in the quantum pact are covering the whole spectrum of potential applications. And quantum computing, if you like, is one particular case. And whatever we, we do in quantum, is it's applicable or similar logic as for quantum computing or communication or sensing. So if we just focus on quantum computing, the intention here is to have ultimately by 2030 quantum computers as standalone dedicated machines that are fully operational and show really a computing advantage or advance compared to the classical supercomputers. Until we get there, we are now integrating quantum computers, I mean, the small ones that are already existing as accelerators in the classical supercomputers. And this for a number of reasons. One is to enhance the computing capabilities of our supercomputers, taking advantage of this very specific, highly parallel computational capacities of the, the quantum computers. We will identify which types of problems, which type of use cases are really justifying or having an advantage by using quantum and uh, which applications or calculations do not need quantum and are best run on a classical machine. So progressively, we will establish a, a list of, of use cases or computing applications that are getting a big advantage by running them on quantum computing architectures. And from there, develop progressively the machines as standalone computers. Associated to this integration of the quantum computers in the USB-C supercomputing infrastructure are accompanying measures to develop the competences of the users, giving them access to those machines so that they can come with their people, with their particular problems, and try out if their particular use case or problem can be solved in quantum, what advantage it will bring them, but also educate and train the workforce so that they can then include this in their business case. The last point, high importance not to be forgotten, is that by the, the integration of those quantum computers, I mean, we are procuring them as a public hand. We are fostering the emergence of a European quantum industry. Uh, and as one of the priorities now, we are working on establishing manufacturing uh, capabilities so that in the long run, we can also serve this growing market. Now switching to the other side. So why we are aware that with the um, development of quantum technologies and quantum computing capacity, we also run the risk of decryption because critical infrastructure and data are at risk of interception with the advancement of these technologies. So um, there are already um, harvest node decrypt later attacks and 
This is just one example. So leading countries are currently drafting standards to ensure post-quantum cryptography, right? And the American National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST, has been recognized as a leading role. So France and Germany are cautious, but many EU countries support the adoption of the American standard setting. And I recently learned that um, there are lots of researchers that have been funded with EU money to um, participate in the competitions and that have been uh, opened by NIST. Their incentive is to receive the recognition for when their algorithm gets um, selected. But at the same time, NIST will then um, take over the intellectual property rights of this algorithm. So I was wondering if you could dive into the implications and whether the EU should start its own standard setting initiatives. Um, well, you're putting a lot of questions into the same uh, uh, basket. So let me see them point by point. The first one is NIST has been running for a long time now these regular competitions to identify new crypto algorithms uh, and submitting them to uh, a competition uh, that is a worldwide competition so anyone can uh, challenge or test those um, algorithms and prove that they are vulnerable or that they are resistant to any attack. And last year NIST had indeed selected uh, a number of those crypto algorithms for the future, so-called post-quantum uh, crypto algorithms, that were to a large extent uh, developed with contributions, significant contributions even from European entities. Now those crypto algorithms, they are publicly uh, available. I mean, NIST has uh, identified them. Uh, and up to my knowledge, they don't have the intellectual property or licensing rights on them. But anyway, the, the work now only starts, which consists in implementing now those post-quantum crypto algorithms in the digital infrastructures that um, we are running to replace the, the current systems that are based largely on factoring large prime numbers. And here we are from the union collaborating with NIST in two ways. One is we are looking forward of uh, developing common standards. I mean, nobody is gaining if we have an American standard, and then we have a European standard, and then maybe we have uh, another standard from other parts in the world. So our efforts are to find common international standards that are taking into account the most advanced post-quantum crypto algorithms, and in particular the ones that have been selected by NIST, but not exclusively the ones selected by NIST. You mentioned countries like Germany or France that are cautious. They are right to be cautious. I mean, all security agencies by default are cautious, and in particular when it comes to introducing new security features uh, in the infrastructures. Now, I cannot speak on their behalf, but what Commission has now launched as part of the cybersecurity work program are measures on one hand to facilitate the dialogue and cooperation among the European national funding agencies and where needed with so national security agencies and where needed with uh, counterparts like, like NIST and so on to identify what are the best common standards, what are the, the best way to introduce 
post-quantum crypto, in which sectors, uh, what should be the, the parameters, what is the implementation roadmap, and so on. And in parallel, the Commission has launched, again, actions to give a number of industrial sectors, like transport, like uh, industry manufacturing, the possibility to test the introduction of post-quantum crypto in the system in order to uh, develop implementation roadmaps so that in uh, due times so or in five to 10 years from now, the infrastructures of the member states can be adapted to post-quantum crypto knowing what is the path to take to get there and for which use cases does it make sense and which type of algorithms to use in which circumstances. When we think of the EU's tax sovereignty, in your opinion, what would you say is the most crucial thing in order to ensure EU sovereignty when it comes to developing on new technologies in the years to come? On technology sovereignty, we have I wouldn't say unique situation, but in, in Europe, this is something that is a, a common factor across a number of high-tech areas. We are very strong in uh, research and uh, development. And if you look at the amount of public funding that goes into uh, quantum, into AI, into microprocessor photonics and so on, uh, you can see that if you combine the European and the national funding, we are in a number of areas, the leading regions. Where we still have difficulties is then in turning this research work, the, the outcomes of this research into to, to products, uh, establishing companies that are supplying those technologies and that are using those technologies. And here, I mean, apart of the cultural change, we have to create the, the right environment for the inventions to be marketed here, for the inventors to take the, the step and establish a business, but also to make sure that once we have developed those technologies, we're not selling them out to other parts of the world without being able to, to benefit from them or to keep the intellectual ownership. So at the end, if we want to increase the resilience, uh, we have on one hand to find more effective ways of translating the research results into commercial products, but then also, and that's part of the economic security strategy that is being devised, is to make sure that once we have those companies, we have those results, we make sure that the property, the intellectual property stays in the union, is exploited here and at any time we can benefit unrestricted and unlimited access to those technologies, even if uh, at the end they might be produced somewhere else. Thank you very much. That's all we've got time for this week. Don't forget to sign up for our free Tech Brief newsletter to stay on top of tech news and digital policy developments in the EU and beyond. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast published on Apple Podcasts Spotify, Stitcher and Amazon Music. This episode was produced with the technical help of Evi Kiori. I'm your technology reporter Alina Klasen and thank you for listening. Bye.